This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Today's recording by Chris V. The Spy by James Fenimore Cooper Edited by Nathaniel Waring Barnes Chapter 31 Hence bashful cunning, and prompt me plain and holy innocence. I am your wife, if you will marry me. On joining Miss Pete, Francis learned that Dunwoody was not yet returned, although, with a view to relieve Henry from the opportunities of the supposed fanatic, he had desired a very respectable divine of their own church to ride up from the river and offer his services. This gentleman was already arrived, and had been passing the half-hour he had been there, in a sensible and well-bred conversation with the spinster, that in no degree touched upon their domestic affairs. To the eager inquiries that Miss Peyton, relative to her success in romantic excursion, Frances would say no more than that she was bound to be silent, and to recommend that the same precaution of the maiden also. There were smiles playing around the beautiful mouth of Frances, while she uttered the injunction, which satisfied her aunt that all as it should be. She was urging her niece to take some refreshment after her fatiguing expedition, when the noise of a horseman riding to the door announced the return of the major. He had been found by a courier, who was dispatched by Mason, impatiently waiting the return of Harper to the ferry and immediately flew to the place where his friend had been confined, tormented by a thousand conflicting fears. The heart of Frances bounded as she listened to his approaching footsteps. He wanted yet an hour to the termination of the shortest period that the peddler had fixed as the time necessary to effect his escape. Even Harper, powerful and well-disposed as he acknowledged himself to be, had laid great stress upon the importance of attaining the Virginians during that hour. She, however, had not time to rally her thoughts before Dunwoody entered one door. As Miss Peyton, with the readiness of female instinct, retired through another, the countenance of Peyton was flushed, and an air of vexation and disappointment pervaded his manner. "'Twas imprudent, Francis! Nay, it was unkind!' he cried, throwing himself in a chair. "'to fly at the very moment that I had assured him of safety. "'I can almost persuade myself that you delight in creating points of difference "'in our feelings and duties. "'In our duties there may very possibly be a difference,' returned his mistress, "'approaching and leaning her slender form against the wall. "'But not in our feelings, Peyton. "'You must certainly rejoice in the escape of Henry. "'There was no danger impending.' He had the promise of Harper, and it is a word never to be doubted. Francis, oh Francis, had you known the man, you would never have distrusted his assurances, nor would you have again reduced me to this distressing alternative. What alternative? asked Francis, pitying his emotions deeply, but eagerly seizing upon every circumstance to prolong the interview. What alternative? Am I not compelled to spend this night in the saddle to recapture your brother, when I had thought to lay my head on its pillow, with the happy consciousness of having contributed to his release? You make me seem your enemy. 
I who would cheerfully shed the last drop of blood in your service. I repeat, Francis, it was rash, it was unkind, it was a sad, sad mistake. She bent towards him and timidly took one of his hands, while with the other she gently removed the curls from his burning brow. Why go at all, dear Peyton? she asked. You have done much for your country, and she cannot exact such a sacrifice at this time at your hand. Francis! Miss Wharton! exclaimed the youth, swinging on his feet, pacing the floor with a cheek that burned through his brown covering, and an eye that sparkled with wounded integrity. It is not my country, but my honor, that requires the sacrifice. Has he not fled from a guard of my own corps? But for this I might have been spared the blow. But if the eyes of the Virginians are blinded to deception and artifice, their horses are swift of foot, and their sabers are keen. We shall see, before tomorrow's sun, who will presume to hint that the beauty of the sister furnished a mask to conceal the brother. Yes, yes, I should like even now he continued laughing bitterly, to hear the villain who would dare to surmise that such treachery existed. Peyton, dear Peyton, said Francis, recoiling from his angry eye, you curdle my blood. Would you kill my brother? Would I not die for him? exclaimed Dunwoody, as he turned to her more mildly. You know I would, but I am distracted with this cruel surmise to which this step of Henry subjects me. What will Washington think of me? Should he learn that I ever became your husband? If that alone impels you to act so harshly towards my brother, returned Frances with a slight tremor in her voice, let it never happen for him to learn. And this is consolation, Francis? Nay, dear Dunwoody, I meant nothing harsh or unkind, but you are not making us both of more consequence with Washington than the truth will justify? I trust that my name is not entirely unknown to the commander-in-chief, said the major, a little proudly, nor are you as obscure as your modesty would make you. I believe, Francis, when you say that you pity me, and it must be my task to continue worthy of such feelings. But I waste precious moments. We must go through the hills tonight, that we may be refreshed in time for the duty of tomorrow. Mason is already waiting my orders to mount. Francis, I leave you with a heavy heart. Pity me, but feel no concern for your brother. He must again become a prisoner, but every hair of his head is sacred. Stop! Dunwoody, I conjure you, cried Francis, gasping for breath, as she noticed that the hand of the clock still wanted many minutes to the desired hour. Before you go on your errand of fastidious duty, read this note that Henry has left for you, and which, doubtless as he thought, he was writing to the friend of his youth. Francis, I excuse your feelings, but the time will come when you will do me justice. That time is now she answered, extending her hand, unable any longer to feign a displeasure that she did not feel. "'Where got you this note?' exclaimed the youth, glancing his eyes over its contents. "'Poor Henry, you are indeed my friend, 
If anyone wishes me happiness, it is you. He does, he does, cried Francis eagerly. He wishes you every happiness. Believe what he tells you, every word is true. I do believe him, lovely girl, and he refers me to you for its confirmation. Would that I could trust equally to your affections. You may, Peyton, said Francis, looking up with innocent confidence towards her lover. Then read for yourself and verify your words, interrupted Dunwoody, holding the note towards her. Francis received it in astonishment and read the following. Life is too precious to be trusted to uncertainties. I leave you, Peyton, unknown to all but Caesar, and I recommend him to your mercy. But there is a care that weighs me to the earth. Look at my aged and infirm parent. He will be reproached for the supposed crime of his son. Look at those helpless sisters that I leave behind me without a protector. Prove to me that you love us all. Let the clergyman whom you will bring with you unite you this night to Francis and become at once brother, son, and husband. The paper fell from the hands of Francis, and she endeavored to raise her eyes to the face of Dunwoody, but they sank abashed to the floor. Am I worthy of this confidence? Will you send me out this night to meet my own brother? Or will it be the officer of Congress in quest of the officer of Britain? And would you do less of your duty because I am your wife, Major Dunwoody? In what degree would it be better condition of Henry? Henry, I repeat, is safe. The word of Harper is his guarantee. But I will show the world a bridegroom, continued the youth, perhaps deceiving himself a little who is equal to the duty of arresting the brother of his bride. And will the world comprehend this refinement, said Francis, with a musing air that lighted a thousand hopes in the bosom of her lover? In fact, the temptation was mighty indeed. There seemed no other way to detain Dunwoody until the fatal hour had elapsed. The words of Harper himself, who had so lately told her that openly he could do but little for Henry, and that everything dependent upon gaining time were deeply engraved upon her memory. Perhaps there was also a fleeting thought of the possibility of an eternal separation from her lover, should he proceed and bring back her brother to punishment. It is difficult at all times to analyze human emotion, and they pass through the sensitive heart of a woman with the rapidity and nearly with the vividness of lightning. "'Why do you hesitate, dear Francis?' cried Dunwoody, who was studying her varying countenance. "'A few minutes might give me a husband's claim to protect you.' Francis grew giddy. She turned an anxious eye to the clock, and the hand seemed to linger over its face, as if with intent to torture her. "'Speak, Francis,' murmured Dunwoody. "'May I summon my good kinswoman? Determine, for time presses.' She endeavored to reply, but could only whisper something that was inaudible, but which her lover, with the privilege of immemorial custom, construed into assent. He turned and flew to the door when his mistress recovered her voice. Stop, Peyton! 
I cannot enter into such a solemn engagement with a fraud upon my conscience. I have seen Henry since his escape, and time is all important to him. Here is my hand, if with this knowledge of the consequence of the delay you will not reject it, it is freely yours. Reject it, cried the delightful youth. I take it as the richest gift of heaven. There is time enough for us all. Two hours will take me through the hills, and by noon tomorrow I will return with Washington's pardon for your brother, and Henry will help to enliven our nuptials. Then meet me here in ten minutes, said Francis, greatly relieved by unburdening her mind, and filled with the hope of securing Henry's safety, and I will return and take those vows which will bind me to you forever. Dunwoody paused only to press her once into his bosom, and flew to communicate his wishes to the priest. Miss Peyton received the avowal of her niece with infinite astonishment and a little displeasure. It was violating all the order and decorum of a wedding to get it so hastily, and with so little ceremony. But Frances, with modest firmness declaring that her resolution was taken, she had long possessed the consent of her friends, and their nuptials for months had only waited her pleasure. She had now promised on Woody, and it was her wish to comply, more she dared not to say without committing herself by entering into explanations that might endanger Birch or Harper or both. Unused to contention, and really much attached to the kinsman, the feeble objections of Miss Peyton gave way to the firmness of her niece. Mr. Wharton was too completely a convert to the doctrine of passive obedience and non-resistance, to withstand any solicitation from an officer of Dunwoody's influence in the rebel armies and the maid returned to the apartment accompanied by her father and aunt at the expiration of the time that she had fixed. Dunwoody and the clergyman was already there. Francis, silently and without the affection of reserve, placed in his hand the wedding ring of her own mother, and after some little time spent in arranging Mr. Wharton and herself, Miss Peyton suffered the ceremony to proceed. The clock stood directly before the eyes of Francis, and she turned many an anxious glance at the dial. But the solemn language of the priest soon caught her attention, and her mind became intent upon the vows she was uttering. The ceremony was quickly over, and the clergyman closed the words of benediction. The clock told the hour of nine. This was the time that Harper had deemed so important and Frances felt as if a mighty load was at once removed from her heart. Dunwoody folded her in his arms, saluted the mild aunt again and again, and shook Mr. Wharton and the divine repeatedly by the hands. In the midst of the fellation, a tap was heard at the door. It was opened, and Mason appeared. "'We are in the saddle,' said the lieutenant, "'and with your permission I will lead on, as you are so well mounted.' You can overtake us at your leisure. Yes, yes, my good fellow, march, cried Dunwoody, gladly seizing an excuse to linger. I will reach you at the first halt. The subaltern retired to execute these orders. He was followed by Mr. Wharton and the divine. Now, Peyton, said Francis, it is indeed a brother that you seek. 
I am sure I need not caution you in his behalf, should you unfortunately find him. Say fortunately, cried the youth, for I am determined he shall yet dance at my wedding. Would that I could win him to our cause. It is the cause of his country, and I could fight with more pleasure, Francis, with your brother by my side. Oh, mention it not. You awaken terrible reflections. I will not mention it, returned her husband. But I must now leave you. But the sooner I go, Francis, the sooner I shall return. The noise of a horseman was heard approaching the house, and Dunwoody was yet taking leave of his bride and her aunt, when an officer was shown into the room by his own man. The gentleman wore the dress of an aide-de-camp, and the major at once knew him to be one of the military family of Washington. "'Major Dunwoody,' he said, after bowing to the ladies, "'the commander-in-chief has directed me to give you these orders.' He executed his mission, and pleading duty took his leave immediately. "'Here, indeed!' cried the major, is an unexpected turn in the whole affair. But I understand it. Harper has got my letter, and already we feel his influence. Have you news affecting Henry? cried Francis, springing to his side. Listen, and you shall judge. Sir, upon the receipt of this, you will concentrate your squadron, so as to be in front of the covering party, which the enemy has sent up in front of his foragers, by ten o'clock tomorrow, on the heights of Croton, where you will find a body of foot to support you. The escape of the English spy has been reported to me, but his arrest is unimportant compared with this duty I now assign you. You will, therefore, recall your men, if any are in pursuit, and endeavor to defeat the enemy forthwith. Your obedient servant, George Washington. Thank God, cried Dunwoody, my hands are washed of Henry's recapture. I can now move to my duty with honor. And with prudence too, dear Peyton, said Francis, with a face as pale as death. Remember, Dunwoody, you leave behind your new claims on your life. The youth dwelt on her lovely but pallid features with rapture, and as he folded her to his heart exclaimed, For your sake I will, lovely innocent. Francis sobbed a moment on his bosom, and he tore himself from her presence. Miss Peyton retired with her niece, to whom she conceived it necessary, before they separated for the night, to give an monitory lecture on the subject of matrimonial duty. Her instruction was modestly received, if not properly digested. We regret that history has not handed down to us this precious dissertation, but the result of all our investigation has been to learn that I partook largely of those peculiarities which are said to tincture the rules prescribed to govern bachelors' children. We shall now leave the ladies of the Wharton family and return to Captain Morton and Harvey Birch. End of chapter 31